Well, hello, everyone. Those of you who don't know me, my name's Duncan. I'm one of the uh, pastoral team here, along with Mark and Isaac. It's great to have you here this morning. If you're visiting with us for the first time, and also if you're a regular, it's great to have you here as well. Thanks to Janine and the team as they've led us through our time of uh, praise and worship of God today, as they've helped us uh, just to be able to come before God and to uh, be able to rejoice in who he is and in uh, the wonderful uh, grace that we stand in, in Jesus Christ, uh, to together as his people today. We're going to uh, be in Acts 2 this morning, so you might like to uh, get uh, ready in your Bibles, uh, Acts 2, and before that... I'd like to uh, just lead us in a time of uh, just short prayer, committing this particular time into uh, God's hands. Gracious God, we um, just reading from uh, 1 Corinthians 2 this morning, encouraged by the words of the Apostle Paul, where he says when he came to the believers that, uh, you know, seeking to announce the wonderful and good news of the gospel, he said he did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom and that he decided in his heart to know nothing apart from Jesus Christ and him crucified. That he came to them in weakness and fear and much trembling and that his speech and preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom but instead with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that our faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on the power of God. And gracious God, that is my prayer this morning, that uh, as we come together around your word, to hear and be reminded afresh of the good news of the gospel in Jesus Christ and the, the uh, implications that it has for us as the people of God in our day-to-day lives. Lord, we come today, I come today, professing to know nothing apart from the fact of Jesus Christ and him crucified. That there is no other message than that. And that I indeed come in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And acknowledge that my speech and preaching this morning will not be with persuasive and powerful and brilliant words of human wisdom, but I pray, God, this morning they might be with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that our faith together may not be based on man's wisdom and man's reasoning and man's philosophies and abilities, but instead that our faith will rest wholly and solely on Jesus Christ and the power of God displayed in him and through him. This is our prayer today, Lord. May you seek to honour that, that we might bring glory to you, to your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the power of your Spirit. Amen. Well, last week we, uh, we did, we celebrated the 50th anniversary of the constituting of uh, this church, formerly the Kalanga Baptist Church, but now, of course, North Pine Baptist Church. And I if you have already sort of agreed with Mark this morning, it was a great weekend, many of you who were able to come along to that. And of course it was, as we reflected back on the, uh, the history of this church, but particularly on the, uh, the faithfulness of God towards the people of his church, that wonderful faithfulness of God that has been displayed even through the faithfulness of his people. 
as we reflected last week, as we uh, look back on all that God has done and accomplished through his people in, in this church over the years, over that, uh, those, those uh, many decades, how we've seen, you know, as we reflected on the various ministries that, were, that have been run over the years and how they have impacted lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ, how we've seen growth through those years, through the, the, uh, you know, the starting off in that, uh, that block of ground there in Andrew Street to the moving here to this particular site where we've seen the church increase in congregation size, increase in buildings and things like that and increase in influence. We look back and we, uh, we saw the, the various challenges that have been met and overcome by the power and grace of God and the influence that this church has had on this community and further afield. You know, as I was pondering those things, you know, not just about last weekend, but again, just pondering through those things again this week, it got me thinking. You know, as much as this church has an incredible and wonderful history to celebrate... It got me asking myself, what things are really going to be needed for this church to continue to thrive and to reach an ever-growing community with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the midst of a world that is growing ever more hostile to and dismissive of the Christian faith? How are we going to do that? And, uh, you know, the... the, uh, passage that we're looking at this morning it talks about the early church and I think that uh, the, the early church can teach us much about what it means to live as the people of God in such an environment you know back in the first century the church faced an incredibly hostile environment even maybe even more so than the one we encounter today Christians were viewed as enemies of the state back in the first century. Uh, their way of life that undermined the foundational pillars of society. That was how the, you know, society viewed the church, as these people were, were seeking to undermine the very foundations of those pillars. They re, the the uh, people of God refused to worship the emperor or to participate in religious rituals that sought to gain the favour of God, the gods, and bring prosperity to the land. Christians were viewed as being secretive. They were viewed as being weird. They were viewed as being out of touch with the majority in terms of community beliefs and practices. Sound familiar? It's very much like our, what we find ourselves in today, doesn't it? And yet in just a relatively short time, just a few hundred years, the church turned the world on its head. Turned the world on its head. How? Well, I believe this passage that we're looking at this morning in Acts 2 tells us a lot about how they went about that. If you open your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 2, we're going to be reading at the end of the chapter the, uh, the closing verses of this chapter, verses 42 to 47. And now Peter, in the context, Peter has just preached this incredible uh, uh, message of the, uh, preached the gospel basically to this crowd of, of people gathered there in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit has come upon the, uh, the, uh, the apostles and the, and the believers in God in, in that, uh, at Pentecost, that, those small band of people who numbered only around about 120 and, and they proclaim the word of God in, and, uh, and powerfully proclaim the word of God. And Peter gets up and he preaches this sermon and in response to him preaching this sermon we read at the end in uh, in acts 2 41 so those who received his word were baptized and there were added to their, that added that day about three thousand souls 
to the church. Incredible movement of the Spirit of God through the proclaimed Word of God that brought about transformation in these people's lives. They came to faith in Jesus. And he goes on to say then in verse verse 42 these words, and it says, And they, speaking about these new believers who came together, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes... They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now what we have here in these verses is a picture of what church community looked like there in that early church context and the factors which contributed to the consistent growth of the church over time. It focused on, a, if you like, a serious commitment, a, a dedicated commitment of the people of God to the word of God, to the worship of God, and to the mission of God, but all in the context of this ongoing support and care for one another as the community of God. If there was one word that defined the church back then, it was this word, together they were together now that term together speaks of being part of a group or a a body if you like which is very fitting for the church as of course we are indeed the body of christ that word together speaks of relationship of being gathered of being gathered to one place even like we are today of being in agreement or harmony with one another because, of course, simple proximity to one another now doesn't, uh, does not necessarily create that feeling of togetherness. It's the spirit of unity that results when minds, come, minds are come, come together and hearts come together in agreement. It is that which creates the togetherness. And that's what we find here in the people of God in this passage. But this togetherness also carries with it this incredible uh, implication of strength of strength and stability. It's interesting, the Bible's got quite a bit to say about the togetherness of God's people. Psalm 133 verse 1 says this, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity, brothers and sisters. Ecclesiastes 4 verses 9 to 12 says this, it says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. The writer of Ecclesiastes there emphasising the importance of, of being together, of having community. 
But of course, he's speaking not just within that community, that human community, but with a community that is that is very much built with God as the foundation. Where he speaks about, you know, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. And of course, in Philippians 2, 2, where the Apostle Paul writes, Complete my joy then by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and one mind together. See, togetherness is foundational. Togetherness is foundational to our Christian witness and to our spiritual health and growth as the church. These verses here in Acts 2 speak very much of, of several aspects of this, of this togetherness, aspects that if we heed and if followed can help us to become more and more the kind of church that Jesus intended for us to be. So if we're going to be this kind of church, then it starts first and foremost with a passionate devotion. Look at verse 42. It says these words. It begins, and they, talking to the believers, and they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. You know, to be devoted to something means that we value it highly, doesn't it? That it means that we place high importance on something, or high value, if you like, on something, that which we devote ourselves to. And we can be devoted to all kinds of things. You know, we can be devoted to, you know, to our spouses. If we're married, we can be devoted to our husbands or our wives. We can be devoted to, to our children. We can be devoted to our families. We can be devoted to our jobs or our work, our careers. We can be devoted to, uh, you know, to, uh, to uh, our studies if you're, if you're not working yet, if you're studying in you know, school and things like that. And some of us may be a little bit more devoted to study than others, especially this time of year. And, of course, we can be devoted to perhaps even like things like a healthy, you know, living a healthy lifestyle and things like that. People can be devoted to all kinds of things. But what we learn here is this group of people, numbering a little bit over 3,000 and growing each day, this group of people had made a firm commitment to prioritise certain things when it came to following Jesus, to being his disciple. Of course, their devotion here describes an attitude, an attitude towards God and towards his people, a continued attitude. That, that word uh, devoted is, is in the uh, imperfect tense. It means that it's an ongoing thing. So it's, it's continually happening. They are continually devoting themselves on an ongoing basis. And that begs the question, doesn't it? Why should we be devoted to the church? Why were these people devoted to the church and why should we be devoted to the church? And we need to remember that when we speak about the church, we're not speaking about a building as such. We're not speaking about, you know, this set of buildings as, as we are speaking about another set of buildings. It might be another church in another part of the, uh, you know, another part of the community. We're not talking about a, 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 a denomination as such. But what we're talking about when we speak about church is we're speaking about a body. We're speaking about the people of God united together in Jesus Christ. A people who have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. Brought together by the Spirit of God according to the plan and purposes of God the Father. That's what we talk about when we talk about the church. 
Paul, when he's um, speaking to the, uh, the uh, believers in Ephesus, he writes in Ephesians 1, verses 16 to 19, these words. He writes this. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And this is the prayer that he prays for the Ephesian believers, and I believe for, and this is a great prayer to pray for all believers. He prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And that having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. Paul is focusing here on the church, and I love that particular part where it says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? When speaking of the church here, Paul actually refers to the fact that, that the church are indeed the riches of God, that we, God considers us his riches and his inheritance. That's how God views the church, how special it is, how special we are to God. And that is, folks, how we need to see and understand the church today as well, that we are indeed the redeemed people of God, the riches of his glorious inheritance. Isn't that marvellous? That should cause all of us today to say, praise God and amen. That God would see us in this way and how precious God sees his church. It is the church that is meant to bring glory and honour to God and it is the God-ordained means by which he is carrying out his mission in the world of saving people from every nation, from every tribe, from every tongue through the spirit-empowered proclamation of the gospel. And we should be devoted to the church. As his followers, we need to be devoted to the church. And not just when we speak of, not when, when we speak about the church, we're not just talking about us here, gathered in this place. We're talking about God's worldwide church. And folks, we've, we've, we've got to lift our minds and our hearts beyond just this place and think about the church universal that God is calling together through the, pro the proclamation of his gospel. And we should be devoted to the church simply because of the value that God has placed in it and in us. So what does this devotion to the church look like? Well, four things get mentioned in this particular passage here in Acts. Firstly, he says they were together in their devotion and commitment to the apostles' teaching. We see that in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, the apostles' teaching here refers to that body of authoritative teaching that, is, that encapsulates, if you like, God's revealed truth. As one commentator puts it, he says, it is the Jesus-centred, spirit-empowered, transformative teaching of the gospel about who God is, about what God has done in the past, and about what God is now doing in this world and what God is working towards in the future. 
These believers were devoted to this body of teaching and to its authority. And it was an authoritative teaching because it derives from God and it was confirmed by God in its authority and truth by the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So as the apostles proclaimed the word of God, as they proclaimed the message of salvation in Jesus Christ, the, uh, the message that, that Peter preaches here at Pentecost in the, in the verses prior to the, the, uh, the verses we're in today, it, 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 God confirms the, the validity, the truth, the reality, the authority of his word because of the response that came about from that word with these people being changed in their hearts. You know, when, when Peter says to the people, he says, you know what, you crucified the Lord of glory. You crucified the Son of God. You are the ones, your sins put him there on the cross. It wasn't a very particularly uh, wonderful message if, if in terms of Peter was trying to win friends and influence people. But instead, God used that to convict these people in their hearts. They were cut to the heart, the passage says. And they says, what must we, what must we do to be saved then? And Peter says, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And it says in this passage here, as the apostles went about preaching and teaching the word of God, it says, and it says that awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. God was affirming, he was confirming the validity of this word, of the truth of his word through these signs and through these wonders. Of course, this teaching that we have today comes to us in the form not only of the New Testament writings of the apostles, but, it, but also through the Old Testament, because the New Testament itself unlocks the Old Testament. It holds the keys to unlocking the Old Testament as it points to Jesus Christ and to God's plans and purposes in the world today. So it was this devotion to the apostolic teaching which is why we need to give such, or why we give today such heavy emphasis to the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God here in this church. It is our only authority, folks. Our only authority. By it and it alone, as it is empowered by the Holy Spirit, are people's lives changed and transformed. It is by this authoritative word as is, is, is to how God builds and grows and builds his church. The only thing that enables me to get up here week after week after week and preach this is because it is God's authority and God's word. And there are days when I get up here with very little confidence and I had to remind myself afresh this morning in 1 Corinthians 2 because those words where Paul says, I come to you in weakness, in fear and in much trembling. Folks, that is me every single week every single week but I'm able to get up here in the power that God enables me with and with the confidence that comes not from my words because if it was up to me you guys would have all left long ago 
but with a demonstrate by God's grace, by a demonstration of the Spirit's power. I am a broken, fallible, fallen human being, sinful human being, as we all are. Every single one of us in this place today, we know, don't we? We know our own failings. We know our own weaknesses. We know the context and the, and the content and the extent of that sin in our lives. But as we rest and as we trust in God and as we proclaim his authoritative word in the power of the Spirit, that's when lives are changed. And that's where God is glorified. They were together in their devotion and commitment to the apostles' teaching. Next, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Now, that word fellowship here is the translation of the, uh, the word in the original language, the Greek language called koinonia or koinonia. And it actually means to actually have in common. It's fleshed out further in verses 44 to 45. And it says this, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. See, these believers, they came from different backgrounds. They came from different nationalities. They came from different social classes. Yet they came together in such a unity, united together by the Spirit of God in Christ. That fellowship here speaks of this connectedness of all believers, us with one another, but also us with, again, the worldwide church. There is a connectedness. This fellowship speaks about this commonality, this community of believers, this interconnectedness of the people of God. But that has its roots and its foundations in Christ and him alone. We don't come together around, you know, around necessarily or just a common beliefs or common, you know, likes and interests and things like that. We come together because God has called us together in Christ and has united us together in him. And so when we look at one another and we see the differences and we see, you know, the, the different backgrounds and all that sort of stuff, yes, that, we, we can't ignore those. But the thing that we need to keep in mind is that if we're followers of Jesus Christ, if we put our faith and trust in him as Lord and Saviour, then we are connected in a way that, is, that we, we cannot even begin to comprehend at times. This connectedness is a consequence of the gospel and Christianity, therefore, is not an individualistic faith. We are all ministers to one another. We all need each other. That's why Paul speaks about this body imagery in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. We all have a responsibility to one another. We depend upon each other. 
We're talking about this this morning in uh, prayer just before the service with the, with the music team and how they're talking about how much that they, they depend and rely upon one another up here. The, you know, the different instruments that are played, the singing voices, you know, the, uh, the speakers, being able to hear clearly out of the speakers, being able to see the words up on the screen. All those things all come together. There is a connectedness and a dependence needed in order to, to create what we hear. And we, as the people of God, have, have God has called us together in this connectedness and we need one another. We cannot do it on our own. We have a responsibility to one another. I want you to take a look around you for a moment. Just take a look around you, just at the seats around you right now, the people around you. Many of you sit in the same seats week after week after week, and that's Okay. As long as you don't think it's your seat. <laughs> Who is it that you would normally see around you where you sit, but you don't see this morning? Are there people here in the church? Are there, are there people who you might be aware of this morning who aren't here? What are you going to do about that? Oh, well, yeah, so-and-so wasn't here this morning. Hmm. Oh, I'd better go on to what, what other stuff I was doing. Because we do that, don't we? We do that. But which one of us, when we're the person who hasn't been at church that, that week, or maybe for a few weeks, start to feel, boy, no one's really contacted me, haven't really heard from anyone, do I really matter? Do people really care about me? What about those who are absent from our connect groups or our ministry groups? You know, each week we give you a, a newsletter or a set of, uh, 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 whether it be a one-sheet thing or a, or a booklet form, but in that newsletter are prayer notes. We provide you in those prayer notes a prayer list for people to be praying for. But can I, can I let you in on another secret? That prayer list isn't just in the newsletter for, to remind people about these people need prayer. It's also a reminder to, or it's, it's, it's actually to, to actually put these people for, you know, in the forefront of our minds that we might not only just pray for them, we might actually just perhaps even contact them through the week and say, hey, I noticed you're in the prayer points this week. How's everything going? Is there anything you need? Can I help you? Don't just pray. Do we look out for the people who are on their own? Those who are single in our congregation. You know, it's one thing which, um, you know, I've, most of my church life, I've not been single in the church. And so it's hard for me to understand at times what it's like to be someone who is single in a church. But it was, it, was, it was, again, you know, sort of rammed home to me again this week about, you know, someone I was talking to was saying, you know, I love our church. But when you're single, you kind of get left out of things. Because sometimes it's awkward to have a single person along to a, to a, to a group of people who are couples or more. Do we look out for those single people? 
Do we look out for our widows and for our widowers? Are we truly serious about getting to know one another? To be vulnerable with one another? Not to come to church and put on a face, pretend that we've got it all together, and yet deep down we know that you know, our, our lives are unravelling it like you wouldn't believe. On behalf of the pastoral team, and I speak this in all, in all honesty and all humility, you cannot just rely on us. This church cannot just rely on us. We are just three men. Each, yes, with a responsibility to pastor and shepherd this church, but each of us have lives, have families, have lots of other things that are going on in our lives as well. We need to rely on one another, folks. We need each other. We need to help meet one another's needs. It's interesting, you know, it's a bit hard to know to, to, to help meet one another's needs when we're not sure what those needs are. And the way we find out about those needs is by getting to know one another and by being honest with one another, sharing those needs that we have. It's interesting to note here in this passage, isn't it, how the people went about meeting the needs of one another? And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Isn't it interesting? Note the financial cost that's mentioned here. See, this devotion to fellowship was very much characterised by an overflow of gladness and generosity amongst the people. Can I say there are some amazing things that happen in the context of fellowship in our church throughout the weeks that some of you may, many of you may not even be aware of. I praise God for all those things that are happening, that are happening. And I praise God for the people who, week by week, just quietly behind the scenes, just go about ministering to those needs of people in the church. But we can't just leave it to the few, folks. We cannot just leave it to the few. We've got to all collectively roll up our sleeves and do it together. Amen? Amen. Luke then goes on to say that the believers devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. That breaking of bread here can, can refer to, that, to this sharing of a meal together. And what we see here in terms of, of the, the community of God here, we have this wonderful picture of fellowship that is happening in the context of hospitality. And please, don't confuse those two terms. Fellowship does not equal hospitality. And hospitality doesn't equal fellowship. But fellowship is a part of, sorry, hospitality is a part of fellowship. These people were regularly coming together in the context of hospitality. They were sharing their lives together. They were meeting together in one another's homes. 
You know, there's something significant about sitting down and sharing a meal with another person, isn't there? It confirms and strengthens our connection with them. It's a bit hard to get to know much about one another around in the context of our large gatherings here on a Sunday. But if we sit down with one another, whether it be over a, a table in a cafe sharing a coffee or whether it be in our home sitting down over a table sharing a meal, that's where we get to really know one another. And that's what really starts to strengthen even more those bonds of the, that tie us together in Christ. Our Connect group this year has met for a meal together before our Bible study and prayer each Tuesday night. And we were just sharing the other night with one another how much having dinner together has actually helped strengthen those bonds between us. How precious that has been. How it's united us and unified us together. You know what? Yeah, we all lead busy lives. Each and every one of us lead busy lives and we can find it hard to find the time to get together with other brothers and sisters in the Lord. But can I say the benefits of doing so are immense and I encourage us all to take the time to do that. But if, we're gonna, if we are going to make the time, we're going to need to see it as a priority, as important, as of value and therefore be devoted to it. It's interesting, that term breaking of bread can have an actual dual meaning here in the passage because it's not only speaking about this context of this shared meal together, this, this, uh, this um, breaking of bread, this, this, this uh, around the meal table, but it also speaks about breaking of bread in regards to the Lord's Supper, sharing the Lord's Supper together. See, this, this, this fellowship around a meal table lent itself to an opportunity of worship. As the people gathered together in their homes, as they shared this meal together, the people were reminded afresh of why they were indeed in community in the first place. That they were brought into being through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as they met and as they celebrated with gladness that their sins were forgiven, that they were the redeemed people of God, that they were God's treasured possession, they were reminded also in this breaking of bread of the hope that is theirs in Christ. It was a looking forward, if you like, to that feast when one day we will all as God's people together be gathered around that heavenly banquet table with Christ and all his people. Have you ever thought of a meal with others in those kind of contexts before? Anybody? No. But it's true, isn't it? That as we share a meal with one another, we're reminded afresh of all these things, of why we are indeed united together, of what unites us together, of the wonderful, what a, what a, a wonderful privilege it is to be called the people of God. What incredible hope we have in Jesus Christ. I wonder this week if you meet for a meal with some other people, whether or not during at the end of that meal you might indeed share communion together. It brought the people together more and more. Finally, it says that they were devoted to prayer. You know, just a casual reading of this book of Acts, and in particular, but in indeed much of the New Testament, we see that the believers were often praying. Mark's going to look a little bit more at this next week. But you see, their devotion to prayer 
was foundational to their community life. Why? I'm glad you asked. Because their prayers were were acknowledging, well, sorry, because their prayers not only acknowledged their absolute and utter dependence upon God for all of life, but what their prayers also did was, was affirm their confidence that Jesus was alive and reigning over all things. Right there in their very situations and circumstances that they found themselves in. Not only did it affirm their confidence that Jesus is alive and reigning, but also it affirmed their confidence that Jesus is alive, that he hears our prayers, and that he alone has the power to act in our lives, in the situations and circumstances that we find ourselves in and that we pray to him about. These people prayed to God with an expectation that he would hear and that he would act according to his will and that they could trust him to act according to his character. And folks, this is what we need to keep reminding of ourselves as well, that God will hear and act according to his character. And his character is this. His character is truth. His character is justice. His character is mercy. His character is grace. His character is love. His character is compassion. His character is goodness. His character is forgiveness. His character is righteousness. And God will always act according to his character. And we need to be praying in light of that. And folks, we're reminded afresh here this morning, and it was a, a great reminder of, of, you know, for me again this week as I was preparing this message, that we as the people of God need to get better at praying. And the way we get better at praying is by praying and being devoted to prayer. One thing before we close. You recognise where this particular, this devotion of the people actually took place? Look at verse 46, and 40, the first part of 47. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. See, these acts of devotion on the part of the people of God, these devoting to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers, happened in the context, first and foremost, in the temple courts, but also in people's homes. It speaks about it happened in large gatherings and it happened in small gatherings. And we as the people of God need to prioritise both. We need to prioritise both. Because this is God's way. In speaking about the temple courts, one commentator makes a really interesting point when he says this. He said, meeting in the temple wasn't just about having a convenient large place to gather. Because, I mean, how are you going to fit 3,000 people in a home? It wasn't just about having a convenient large place to gather, but it became a regular opportunity to live out their faith before the people. In other words, they didn't just hide away as the people of God. And that comes as a challenge for us today is how are we actually going to live this stuff out 
not just amongst ourselves, but in light of those people around about us, in light of a lost community around about us, in light of a lost world around about us, how are we going to live these things out in front of them? What was the effect of this devotion to these things? The end of the passage tells us. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. God added to their number daily those who were being saved. Wow. How easy it is to read over those words. And God added to their number daily those who were being saved. Each and every day... Here in this particular context, people were coming to faith in Jesus Christ through the witness and the testimony of these believers because of their devotion to these things. Does that come as a challenge or what? Don't think that this was... Uh, extraordinary um, you know, circumstances in terms of, yeah, the church was just going out. So yes, God was working powerfully and amazingly, yes. But their context was very, very, very little different to our own context today. And right now, God is at work in the lives of so many people in our communities. God's spirit is at work in people's lives. And all God wants to do is he actually wants to use you and me to come alongside those people. Like Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8. You know where he comes alongside the, 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 the Ethiopian who's reading from the, uh, the, the, the manuscripts from, of, of, of Isaiah? And he says to him, he says, do you know what you're reading? And the guy says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? And Philip says, well, let me tell you. And he tells him about Jesus. And the guy comes to faith in Christ there and is baptised. You and I have an incredible message to share of how Jesus has worked in your life, of how Jesus has changed your life. And I pray that Jesus has done it. Has Jesus done that for you? Has Jesus actually changed your life? Because he's changed my life. And sadly, I don't tell enough people that. And I think, sadly, the majority of, our, of, of the church today, and I'm not just talking about us, we don't, we don't tell people that. And we need to be. And may God, maybe, by God's grace and favour, he will indeed bring more and more people into his family, using us in the process. Folks, this kind of community, I don't know whether, you know, you sit there this morning and think, boy, this community, Duncan, it just, I don't know if we can be that. I don't know if we can be that. In and of ourselves, folks, we can't be. We can't be that community. But we can be when we rely on the Spirit of God. when we commit ourselves to being devoted to these things, when God works in us and through us, we can be that kind of community.
It is possible when we depend upon the Spirit of God in prayerfulness and submission. And folks, now more than ever, now more than ever, we need to come together as the people of God, devoted to his word, devoted to regular worship and prayer, and devoted to a deep love and care for one another that goes beyond what this world can offer. It is that kind of togetherness that glorifies God and draws others to him. So let us come together for the sake of Christ. Let us come together for the sake of one another. But let us come together for the sake of a lost world. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious God, we want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts today for the fact that you have enabled us to hear the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for those who have responded to it, Lord, you have enabled us even to do that. As we're reminded in Ephesians 2, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, so that anyone might boast, but it is indeed the gift of God. Father, we pray that you would indeed continue to work in us and through us as your people, that we might indeed come together and be devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And that, Lord, as we do that in the enabling and powering of the Spirit, we might see you do many wonderful and amazing things. We might see people's lives changed and transformed and themselves declare and praise Jesus as Saviour. Amen. When I was um, putting the order of service together, I knew what song I wanted to finish with. Couldn't remember what it was called, though, so I ended up writing.